Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Um, yeah, long time to see you guys. Thanks for joining me. Of course, this is Talk and Fanfic. My name is Sarah. Here we are, finally, with an episode. First episode in a while. Um, I've been really excited about this one. You guys know this season's been pretty fanfic heavy. But um, this episode is going to be kind of related, but it's going to be kind of different. So we do touch on fan fiction, but my guest, as you'll see in the interview, is Shines With You. And I met Shines With You kind of in the Oasis fanfic fandom. And then not too long ago, I found out that Shines With You has is a writer herself. I thought maybe she was just a reader, but it turns out she is an amazing writer and she has a music blog or she has a blog where she writes about music. It's sort of a creative nonfiction format. And she writes about music. She writes about how music kind of has um, been woven into her life growing up and now and the bands that she loves. And it's a really easy style of writing to read. And it, yeah, you're going to love it. We touch on all kinds of stuff. Of course, you can read my summary and see all that. Um, but one thing I was just, I just finished editing and it's about two hours long. And one thing that I feel like I didn't really do is actually kind of dig in and kind of excavate the blog entries and the writing themselves. We talk about lots of things that she touches on, especially the bands, the band Television and Tom Verlaine and um, kind of the music she grew up with and all that good stuff. But I didn't actually like dig into the entries. Um, and I was thinking about you know, kind of if that was intentional or not. And I, I always plan out these episodes and I have a list of questions, but I think that it just sort of felt like that it might be a tough thing to sort of take someone's nonfiction, a writing that is very personal. And there's nothing that's particularly, you know, racy or kind of exposing in any sense about the writing. But it, it's just like with nonfiction and kind of a journal blog style, you don't kind of have that wall of fiction to sort of hide behind. So it's very easy as a fiction writer for someone to me, for instance, if I were going on a podcast to talk about my writing, um, like I did on the Fanfic Maverick, my friend Beth had me on and she would read excerpts and we would talk about them. And I think that is a different experience sitting there kind of listening to someone read your words um, when you're talking about fiction and fictional characters, as opposed to kind of it's almost like reading a diary out loud and um it works so well as a blog and and i know that you will enjoy it and i really hope everybody here what you need to do is there's a link to the sub stack in the show notes it's the first link and it's called passion fruit and holy bread and you just go to that link and then you put in your email and it subscribes you and you're not going to get an email right away um you will get an email the next time that she puts out an entry. But what you can do is log in, create a Substack account, log in, and then you get to read the back entries, which you should absolutely do. She's got five, no, six entries. One came out today, actually. My favorite so far, I think, are entries four and five, which are, oh no, three and four. On Ice Cream and Richard Hell is number three, and Pull Down the Future is number four. And those are kind of the longest sort of most substantial entries, and they're just incredible. But we'll see if this works. If it doesn't, I'll delete it, and you guys will never hear this. But what I decided to do for the intro is that I would actually like to read this whole entry now out loud to you, because I think it works 
really well that way, immersing you in her style and her voice before you get to hear us talk about music. And um, and yeah, I don't know. It just felt like I didn't want to put her on the spot. I actually do read the intro entry during our interview. And that one is just kind of like a bullet point kind of list of like, hey, guys, this is my blog. This is what I'm going to be talking about. But even that, as I was reading, I was kind of like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't know. It just feels, even if there's nothing particularly personal, it just feels very personal. And so I I think I do read another excerpt from, I think, blog number four later, but I don't read, it's not that much. And I feel like I didn't really give you a sense of the blog itself in the interview. So I want to do that now. So if you just bear with me. Hopefully my voice is soothing you in your car or in front of your computer, wherever you're at. Hope you're having a wonderful day. Here we go. So this is from Shines With You's, her blog, which is called Passion Fruit and Holy Bread. This is entry number two called Forget About the Rat Race. Some transmissions from the past week. And the uh, photo on the blog is a album cover that she's going to talk about within the entry. It's called Pop Music by M. It's a 12-inch single. It's really bright, pink and yellow uh, album cover. I feel very unsettled the past few days, like I'm grasping out for something at all times. I've long since gotten rid of the most addictive social media accounts I once had, but I'm more addicted to my phone than I've maybe ever been. The way I jump from app to app, could be described as scavenging. Very little music will settle with me right now. No amount of information or stimulation is enough. Feeds seem unsatisfying to scroll through. I'm on high alert, but the bells won't ever ring. It's got something to do with dopamine, I know. Sometimes I think scary things like, what if I won't ever be able to love anything as much as I loved the Beach Boys when I was 16? Or... What if the planet Earth only has 150 years left? The person I've been waiting on to DM me an answer about something back finally did, so I can delete Twitter for real now and maybe feel a little more free. Getting out of bed is becoming hard again. I'm not trying as much as I was last week. Last week I forced myself to get out of bed at 7 o'clock every morning and go for a walk, and it immediately worked glorious fucking miracles on every part of my life. I'm pissed off at how simple that is. Simple, but never easy. Not to bring so much dim and gloom to your inboxes. It really hasn't been as dark as it sounds. Something positive that happened last week was that I realized the song Pop Music by M from 1979 is actually the greatest song ever written, and I couldn't stand to listen to it any less than 10 times a day. This song gave me such head-bopping joy in a way I can't explain. It's kind of a novelty song, which is sometimes the best type of song, like Sugar Sugar by the Archies or Yakety Yak by the Coasters. It's pure bubblegum with synth and sax and funny meta swagger all over it. The music video is appropriately ridiculous. The organ intro part sounds like the doxology, like from church. The guy who made the song, M, is actually named Robin Scott. He hung out with Vivian Westwood and Malcolm McLaren. He made a couple artsy films and other albums, but most people only really remember the song Pop Music, duh. Pop Music was created to emulate the Europop sound as synthesizers were coming into fashion. Robin Scott said about the song, quote, 
I was looking to make a fusion of various styles, which somehow would summarize the last 25 years of pop music. It was a deliberate point I was trying to make. Whereas rock and roll had created a generation gap, disco was bringing people together on an enormous scale. That's why I really wanted to make a simple, bland statement, which was, all we're talking about, basically, is pop music. Does what it says on the tin. Robin Scott's wife, Bridget, sang the backing vocals, which are obviously the best part of the song, and which I think sound like strawberry-scented markers being uncapped, a toy factory in a Nintendo game, clean manila folders. I was at the record store last Saturday. Sadly, a rare occasion, but I had leftover Christmas cash to blow. Most of my time there was spent hovering around the P&S sections, looking for the album Horses by Patti Smith. I looked under both because I wasn't sure whether they'd catalog it under P for Patty Smith Group or S for Smith, comma, Patty. They didn't have any of her records, and I even asked the knowledgeable-looking, long-haired high school kid behind the counter. After accepting defeat, I moved on to neighboring sections when what to my wondering eyes should appear, holy shit, the 12-inch single version of Pop Music by M, a.k.a. Robin Scott. I actually laughed out loud to myself in the middle of the M section, in which that prize single was surrounded by far too many Manassas LPs. I'll throw CSN and CSNY a bone, but I don't really care about or care to know anything about the band Manassas. Anyway, the whole situation was really a shining example of you can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you just might find you get what you need. At home, I baked some really delicious chocolate chip cookies while I listened to pop music and the other records I bought, which were the Spoon Greatest Hits album, Everything Hits at Once, and a Raspberry's Greatest Hits album called Raspberry's Best. I got two CDs for my car, How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb by uh, the U2s, and Automatic for the People by R.E.M. I almost just started a sentence by saying, I made a salad with lettuce. And then I continued to list the other ingredients, but then I realized how stupid that would have been. Quote, I made a salad with lettuce, because no shit, the lettuce is the crux of the entire thing. It's like when somebody asks you what you did on whatever day and you start with, well, I woke up slash got up. On the day I wrote this, I made a salad for lunch, um, with lettuce. I chopped the lettuce really thin because texturally it's better, and the smaller pieces make it less of a slog to eat. I cut up carrots apples, pecans, and a breaded chicken cutlet I made on Sunday. I made a dressing out of olive oil, lemon juice, salt, pepper, and a dash of Worcestershire. That's about as much as I can commit to the concept of salad dressing. I don't like an excess of dressing. Ideally, the dressing should be just barely perceptible on the leaves while still containing the necessary building blocks. Oil, acid, seasonings. I added a big drizzle of honey as a part of the dressing, because it seemed to fit with the theme of apples and pecans, and also because why else would I even have eaten the damn thing? On the same day as Salad Day, I read Hanif Qureshi's newsletter. Reading books is not something that's been deeply integrated into my routine for an embarrassingly long time now, but I figure reading anything by a writer, a real writer, is better than reading nothing. Hanif Qureshi is a celebrated British-Pakistani writer who also happens to be bisexual, and I love him because he wrote my favorite movie, My Beautiful Laundrette. Two weeks ago, while in Italy, Hannah fell and suffered a spinal injury, leaving him partially paralyzed. 
He's been documenting his recovery and his time in the hospital ever since, mostly on Twitter, but it's all being cross-posted to his Substack too. His newsletters and tweets are being dictated by him and posted using Siri and or with the help of his partner and children. Between updates on his condition and stories from his past, it's so damn compelling to read. I suddenly feel guilty for not having a more prolific knowledge of his works. Here are some of my favorite things that he has posted in the past two weeks. And there are two links, which we will put in the show notes. Addendum. From the horse's mouth, it turns out that Liam and Noel Gallagher are speaking again, regularly and amicably, which makes me think of the Coldplay lyric, quote, nothing's too broken to find a way back, end quote. And that sort of makes me want to cry because of family and brothers. And right here, right now, this is history. And 13 years. I don't know. It's just that sometimes things feel like they're going to be okay after all. So that is the end of blog number two. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I don't know why I find writing affecting the reasons for it, but um, her writing always just makes me take a breath and um, feel a little less alone, you know, because we're all out here trying to forget about the rat race so we'll go out today actually instead of our typical theme song which was composed by the amazing kyle lauren but i think today we're gonna do pop music and uh hope we don't get flagged anywhere but um yeah stick with me enjoy the show and go on that Substack. find that link passion fruit and holy bread i promise you it will be the brightest little light in your inbox and uh you'll love it Thanks, guys. Well, this is very exciting. Um, with me today, I have a very exciting guest, Shines With You. Today's episode of Talking Fanfic is going to be a little different because we'll inevitably we will probably talk about fanfic, but today we're talking about music. We're talking about writing about music, and this goes along so well with my current obsessions with Oasis and band fanfiction. So, Welcome, Shines With You, to Talk and Fanfic, and thank you for being here today. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, this was, um, like I said, like this dovetails so great with my Oasis obsession, which is funny because my season started out with like, I was reading The Flash, which is like the CW superhero fanfiction, and then music and Oasis kind of took over my life for the past year. Um, so... It's a funny season, but this dovetails in really well with the Oasis stuff, and so I'm really excited. I thought just to start out, maybe we would even just start out with some like, 
I don't know if you've been following the Oasis and Gallagher news or gossip, but a lot has been happening lately. Um, have you been oh, kind of yes. keeping up with any of that? Yeah. You know, I often don't really comment too much on on all of that stuff, but I definitely am, you know, following those couple blogs that, uh, you know, are keeping everyone updated on that stuff. And, you know, it's fun to read and, you know, speculate about. So, yeah, it's been kind of like a big couple years for the Gallaghers. Um, did you list, did you end up listening or what, what were your thoughts on like Liam's album in 2022? Yeah, I, I listened to it when it came out. I didn't listen to it a whole lot. I'm going to have to go back and, and listen again, but I, uh, you know, I loved the singles. I like the sound of it. Um, I definitely, I'm more familiar with like his earlier solo albums, like his first one in particular, but, um, yeah, I liked it. So I'll have to go back and listen, especially when, you know, Noel's new album comes out, people will be, you know, drawing comparisons and all that stuff. So. Yeah, it seems like inevitably those guys, ever since Liam's solo career started in 2017, it's just been kind of like back and forth. I guess, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess 2017, both of them had their, yeah, they both had albums out that year, the same year. And then Noel did his, he did his EPs in 2019, but Liam had his second album in 2019. So they're like always kind of going back and forth or competing mm-hmm. with each other which it seems like they've been doing their whole lives. And that's like part of the whole Gallagher thing. I'm kind of excited because I'm going to go see Noel end of June, which I've never seen either of them, obviously, but he's touring garbage. And it kind of seems like the yeah. 90s, the 90s bands are kind of coming back lately. Are you, are there any of those like bands that you've been seeing a resurgence of or like are excited about? Yeah. So he's coming sort of near me touring with Garbage uh, and Metric, I think. And I was thinking about going and I was like, damn, like, would it be crazy of me to not go to that? Um, but I don't know, tickets are kind of expensive. So I I might not be able to go. But um, yeah, I saw that, that there's a tour coming around this summer. I think it's Weezer and I don't know who else, but yeah, Weezer's doing a tour this summer. It's... I think it's coming back. Lots of reunions going on. Um, obviously, Blur's doing a reunion show at Wembley. So, yep. yeah, it'll be a fun year for shows, I think. Yeah, I was going to maybe get into this later, but actually, since we're touching on it now, like live music right now, I haven't been a- doing a great job of like understanding what all is going on with like Ticketmaster and Live Nation. I know that all that everybody knows is like ticket prices are crazy everywhere, it seems like. And it's like live music. To me, I was talking with my sister about this. It's like you have to almost just pick one show for your season, like one or two shows, at least of more well-known artists. Because tickets are like like a $60 ticket with fees and stuff will end up being like $90. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's been some like some congressional meetings of some kind where they've I think they've pulled Live Nation and Ticketmaster, you know, kind of like slapped them on the wrist a little bit and said, you explain yourselves, but I don't know that anything's changing, but I don't know. Do you follow any of that with like, I don't know, like why, why going to a show is so insanely expensive these days? Like, I don't remember, I don't know that it was always like that or how much different it was like 10 years ago versus whatever. Yeah. I mean, I've really, 
you know, only been going to concerts regularly um, for probably the last five or so years. Um, but I, you know, I've been going to concerts for like the last 10 years. And now like I'm recently out of college, like I have a job, I can afford to like save money for that stuff now. And it's super exciting, but it's definitely different than it was before. It's, it's really horrible because they just have a monopoly over the entire industry. So you really have no choice uh, unless you're going to, you know, small shows um, which a lot of the time can do ticketing independently, but also a lot of the time they don't. Um, and they are using Ticketmaster still, uh, even for, you know, shows that cost, you know, 20 bucks. So, yeah, I don't know. It's It sucks. It's really unfortunate. I think that everyone should be able to go see live music. It shouldn't be a class, you know, wealth sort of barrier um, that it is now. But, um, yeah, I hope I hope it changes. Yeah, I hope so too. I so I'm oh god. I'm 32 33. So I'm like 10 years out of college. That's crazy to think. But when I was in college, I was in a college town and I used to go I kind of got a job at this like bike shop and I wasn't I didn't grow up really listening to music in a way that I wish I would have. Like we had country music, like 90s country music was for some reason listened to like in the car, but like we didn't really have a stereo system. We there wasn't really music in our house. Um, even though like my sister and I were in an orchestra, and my mom and dad love music. I don't know why. I think they were just parents, and they, my dad had this nice bang and olives and turntable that I remember um, down in like a storage room. Take like it wasn't hooked up. I think because he knew that us kids would like fuck it up and destroy it. But I remember he had a collection of LPs. And I would like look through them and I'm like, oh, this is so cool. Like, why don't we use this? And it wasn't until we got out of the house after high school that he finally got his sound system set up. And now he's like obsessed and it's kind of fun for us because it's like kind of a thing we have with our dad, my sister and I, like we all buy vinyl now. And even though it's cr- that's also crazy expensive. I don't remember how I was connecting this with live music, but Oh, getting into music. and So I got into music then in college after I got a job and you like work with like people that you think are cooler and probably older than you. And um, there was a great music scene in that town. So I did like kind of get into like a local scene for a while where you go out to the bar and there's like a $5 cover and it's like a $5 ticket. And it's like kind of your shitty local garagey punk bands. And so I did some of that for like a couple years and yeah, I don't know what effect that had on me, but I had a lot of fun out of those kind of like local music shows. Like, so I guess all that having said, can you tell me a little bit about the place of music in your house growing up? Like, was there always music around or did you discover it later or how did that work? Yeah. Uh, growing up, music was a huge part of my life. Nobody in my family was really a musician. Um, I am a musician. Um, I've been playing music since I was like five. I just can never not remember like being into music. Like it's kind of what my life is centered around. And a lot of my early memories are just based around music that my dad would play for me. Um, We always had the radio on. He had, you know, a pretty big collection of CDs tons of Beatles, Beach Boys, Rolling Stones, all that stuff. 
And then going like into middle school, I started listening to like the local um, independent radio station, like a, a college station that came in near here. And that was great because I could listen to things that you wouldn't hear anywhere else. And yeah, then I, I was in high school and I joined a band and I was in a band with my friends for a couple years. And yeah, now um, I, I'm not playing as much with other people as I would like to, but mostly just trying to go to as many shows as I can. Um, like you said, like trying to go to those local unknown you know, shows it's it's tough sometimes because you don't always live near that stuff. Like I, I don't know, yeah. like I I live in sort of a more rural area, but you know I I can drive to those things and you know try and get out in that scene and and support those people because I think that's really important that people feel that they can be a part of local music um, and not feel so isolated and that they can only just sort of see it from afar. Yeah. Yeah. Go back for a minute. Like when you were growing up, was that your parents kind of putting an instrument in your hands or how did you pick up? What did you play? And then how did that come about? So I started on piano and my my parents, I guess, like put me into piano lessons and, and got a piano and everything. Um, I don't really remember because I was so young, but I loved it instantly. Um, I just picked it up really fast. Uh, a lot of kids talk about their parents putting them into piano lessons and then they, they hate it and they don't practice. Um, but that wasn't me. I, I loved it. And I played for, I don't know, 20 years, basically. <laughs> yeah. When, when you were like listening to all that kind of old stuff that your dad would put on like the Beatles and stuff, what I remember from elementary school, when I was growing up in like mid nineties and up to the mid two thousands, kids were listening to like the big bands at the time, I grew up in kind of that battle of the bands between like NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, Britney was in there, Spice Girls were on there. Like that, those were like the bands that kind of kids were listening to in my elementary school, middle school age. Like I imagine that your peers weren't all listening to the Beatles. Like did that feel like, did you come into school excited about the music that you were listening to? And was that always different from what kids were listening to? Yeah, I don't really remember a whole lot about music when I was like real little and what people were talking about at school. I don't think people really talked about it at all. Um, around where I lived, it was just kind of like, yeah, like everyone heard what was on the radio, like the pop, you know, the popular, you know, top 40 radio stations. Um, and that was about it, but you know, I I never really thought about it. It was just what I heard at home. I guess I kind of took it for granted, like that not everyone has that type of background. Um, but I really started getting like into, into the Beatles and all that, you know, sixties rock, um, when I was probably 12. And at that point it became sort of like a niche thing. Like people, I I don't know, like people in middle school, like had these like big binders and notebooks that people would like put pictures all over and write on. And I would just write lyrics all over mine. Um, and you know, a lot of people had like One Direction and like that was the big thing. Then. <laughs> yeah. And I actually saw One Direction live. I, I was, I was, you know, I was into that too. But yeah. Um, yeah, I guess in middle school and early high school was where it kind of branched off. And I was like, okay, like I'm into this thing. Yeah, I didn't, <laughs> it sounds so sad. I didn't discover the Beatles until I was like 
23, again, like at the bike shop, I remember going over to a friend's house and this was like kind of the house where I was like 23 and then everyone else was like in their thirties and they were like smoke pot. And this was like my friend's house and he was like serial bachelor. And he had a, the only things in that living room was like a drum kit, some guitars, a bass, and they would all just go over there, drink beer, get high and like jam. And it was like still probably my life, the coolest thing ever. It was awesome. And and so actually, I, there's a bass behind me. I bought that bass because I wanted to be cool like them. And I still like can barely play. I need to, I know open chords on guitar. My bass playing is very sad, but like, it's still like this aspirational thing. Like someday I will be cool <laughs> and play the bass. Um, but I remember hearing, they put on the Beatles and someone was like, oh, Sarah, you know the Beatles? And I was like, yeah, I never really listened to them. And then they were like, put on side two of Abbey Road. Or maybe we listen to side one first, but they're like, this is going to blow your mind. And I was like, also high. And it did blow my mind. <laughs> so that was a great way. But I wish I had, it was just a very late start into like good, what I would call good music. I mean, I don't know. It's like an amazing thing. Like you discover the Beatles and then you kind of, it sort of puts you on a path to like understanding the way music is now. Um, do you kind of remember you know, like with the Beatles, was that kind of the first big band you're obsessed with? Or you mentioned the Beach Boys as well. Like, were there some other, was there some other music that was really important to you when you were about that age, like 12, 13? Yeah. The first band that I was ever obsessed with was Coldplay when I was probably around eight or nine years old. And that obsession has never left. (laughs) Um, people love to make fun of Coldplay and they, it's a band that people love to hate. Um, and I get that they're easy to make fun of, but Um, everyone secretly likes it and everyone would secretly (laughs) love to hang out with Chris Martin. Like, come on. Yeah. And there's a number of connections to Oasis with Coldplay and you too. Yeah. Coldplay was like the number one for me. And then my dad was like, Oh, like if you like Coldplay, you'll probably like these albums by like, and then um, I inherited like a bunch of U2 CDs from uh, my aunt. And after that it was the Beatles. And then I just went down a rabbit hole of like everything sixties. And yeah, I, I was, uh, I was on, I mean, I've been on Tumblr for like 10 years at this point now, but I was in like a little mini like Beach Boys fandom area on Tumblr when I was like 16 or so. But yeah, other than that, my sort of fandom experience on Tumblr was not band centric until now. Yeah. What age did you kind of start getting on? I don't know what I want to call it, fandom or kind of fan social media. Was it always Tumblr or were you on any other like platforms that were like fans were? Yeah. Um, I didn't have a live journal account, but I used to like look on yeah. live journal communities. Um, that's probably where I came across fan fiction for the first time. Um, I think it was a Percy Jackson um, live journal community. <laughs> but then after that, I got on Tumblr, and that's kind of where I, I, I was into like Sherlock at the time and like Doctor Who and all that kind of thing was like really big at the time. So I just thought, yeah, hey, this is like the thing to do. <laughs> yeah. So 
you discovered fan fiction through like Percy Jackson. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's awesome. When did, did were you into band fic at all around that? T- like I, I, I just bring it up because I remember I was also kind of at the tail end of Live Journal, and I do remember that is kind of when I had my little. I did was into McLennan for a while with Paul McCartney and John Lennon. And I remember there was a live journal group. Um, I think it was called the John Hart Paul group or something, but it was, there was a Tumblr group at that time that was doing John and Paul fan fiction. Did you ever like encounter or anything like that? Yeah, I did. Um, that was probably the first like band pairing that I ever remember hearing about. And I was like, okay, that's stupid. Like that's ridiculous. So I, I kind of heard about it at the time, but I was like, I was like, no, nah, I'm not really into that. Like, I mean, I get it, I guess, but <laughs> uh, not for me. So I, I think I, I think I had seen it a little bit, heard about it, but I didn't go near it. Um, it not until like probably the last three ish years that I, uh, that I've been interested in, in like RPF and things like that. Yeah. So did that come? Obviously, you've been listening to music your whole life. You're familiar with fan fiction from that young age. Did those just kind? Of, were you always kind of reading traditional media fan fiction, or did that kind of go away and come back as well? Yeah, I've always been a really avid um, fanfic reader. I got off Tumblr for about two ish years, probably around 2017, 2018. 2019 maybe. Um, so I wasn't really reading anything at that point, but yeah, I've, I've always been an avid reader of fic, like in whatever fandom I might happen to be interested in TV shows, movies, um, books, anything like that. I was, uh, I've lost track of like how many things I've read for. Um, cause yeah. often it's like a, sh- a very short lived obsession. Um, and then I forget about it, but yeah. Yeah. And and you were just reading, you weren't posting anything as far as writing goes? Just a reader, like not even commenting, not posting anything, not sharing, not talking, <laughs> just purely lurking, <laughs> you know, appreciating from afar. Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, part of the reason we're here today is because you are a writer, even if you're not a fan fiction writer per se, although maybe we'll touch on that later. Um but I found your blog on Tumblr. I had seen your username. I think we were following each other. And then you posted this post that was like, hey, guys, um, I'm going to be starting this music blog. And if you want to follow it, you can subscribe, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, And I have always been someone that's like 99% of my reading is fiction. But I remember kind of along with my 2013 Beatles obsession, I picked up High Fidelity by Nick Hornby, which is also fiction, but he writes, it's kind of like a book about someone that's obsessed with music. And in it, I think he mentions like music magazines. And then when you get into the Beatles, you hear about the NME and other like music writing. So that always intrigued me. But I remember thinking, oh, I would love to like read more about music and I do read some creative nonfiction like David Foster Wallace or some essayists like I encountered in college. Um, but anyway, so I subscribed. I was like, you know, what, I didn't know what to expect, but I got that first email. And uh, needless to say, I was just really impressed, really blown away by the quality and the level of writing. Um, so 
obviously we're going to be talking a lot about this, but anyone will have the link in the show notes. You should subscribe to Shine With You's blog. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about this. So it's called Passion Fruit and Holy Bread. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that idea, how you got that? And maybe ugh, I'm just throwing too much at you right now, but maybe just like talk about were you always into writing, even just like in school or because you're a great writer. So I was just like, wow, why isn't this person writing fan fiction? But also, you're an amazing writer. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, that's very sweet. Yeah, I, I've i always been an extremely avid reader. I wrote, I mean, I, I never really seriously wrote a lot. Um, I mean, in, in college, I did a ton of, you know, academic writing, essay writing, research papers, sort of philosophical writing, all of that. Um, and I really liked that. You know, I, I always enjoyed writing, like even I'm remembering these exercises that my fifth grade teacher had us do, where he would give us like a list of prompts. Uh, and then we would have, you know, a couple weeks to get through all of them and just write whatever we wanted in this journal. And that was probably like, one of the most formative, like creative experiences that I had. So I just, I remember that really fondly. And I remember him especially encouraging me to keep writing. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of didn't, <laughs> I, I just, I just fell out of it. Um, I, I fell out of reading as much as I had when I was young, you know, just seeing all these super talented writers, especially recently, like all the people who are writing Oasis stuff right now and, and, and other people um, that, that I read online, I just got super inspired by like the talent of all these people, um, you included. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to start something. I'm just going to put something out there and I don't even know what it means. I'm just going to do it. But yeah, I started, I started it. Um, I didn't really think anyone would want to read it, <laughs> but that's okay. I'm, I'm okay with it being like a small, a small thing, but it's called Passion Fruit and Holy Bread. And that's a lyric from a song by the Stone Roses called She Bangs the Drums. And yeah, that's, that's why I named it that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I feel like this podcast is a small community, like not that many listen to it. And Oasis RPF is a small community. So I don't know. This podcast, I don't know if it will get you many more readers, but I hope everyone listening gives it a shot and subscribes because you have um, a really beautiful voice. You, uh, I don't know, creative nonfiction is a really interesting genre because it's like kind of journaling, um, but it has kind of the a poetic sort of aesthetically. It's like you do a lot of the same playing around you do in fiction. Like it's not like straight essay. Like it's never boring. So I love just the color in it and the metaphor and I don't know, kind of the, the style of an essay is like, comes from the French word to try. And so it always feels like that. Like you're sort of, you start out maybe not knowing where you're trying to get to, but it always goes somewhere interesting and um, just like good music does. So uh, I just love it so much. Um, if you don't mind, could I just maybe read the first entry? Cause it kind of lays out like, some bullet points of like what you're doing and what you would like to do. Yeah. So I've got them, I got them printed out. My printer was very <laughs> sad. Like 
it's a very pale 20% contrast of you've got some great images. So on the intro, we've got a, is it a painting? Yes, it's a, that's an oil painting. Uh, I think I found it on Twitter. This guy, Noah Verrier, um, I'm probably pronouncing his name wrong, but um, he does these really cool oil paintings. They're like mostly still lifes and he arranges flowers next to fast food. He had like a couple in a series and I was just like, that's perfect. I love that. <laughs> it's amazing. Like the way that you talk about music and the way we talk about fiction, it's like, it's not always clear why we love something, but sometimes you just do and you're like, yes, that is, that is the thing. Um, yeah. So it's a picture of some flowers by a McDonald's filet of fish. There's some fries and possibly a McFlurry and it's just a lot of color and it's delightful. But yeah, this is the first entry. It's pretty short, so I'll just take a minute here and read it. Passion Fruit and Holy Bread. Hello, it's me. I'm creating this new thing now called Passion Fruit and Holy Bread, a newsletter slash blog where I attempt to write about some things that don't quite fit in my journal or on Twitter. The name of it comes from the song She Bangs the Drums by the Stone Roses. The profile picture I'm using was painted by Noah Verrier. I wanted to write about music mostly. And I might even like to do that seriously one day, but looking in the face of some absolute genius giants in the world of rock and roll writing right now is intimidating. In all honesty, I spent the better part of this past year unsure if I would ever truly have a creative output again. But depression brain frog be damned. Sometime around July, I broke the seal with a tiny, shitty piece of fiction I wrote for a few people on Discord. Thanks to a few wonderful people I see doing beautiful rock and roll slash heartfelt slash poetic, etc. writing on the internet, I've taken some inspiration and decided to continue. I keep surprising and embarrassing myself with what comes pouring out of my notes apps, on my computer, on my piano and drums. This is my new practice room. I love that, by the way. Combining a mix of serialized blog posts with bits of fiction and poetry, and maybe even photography or collage, I hope this newsletter will act like a zine of sorts. This newsletter will not be serious. It will not inform you of any relevant or worldly news. No, it will not tell you what crypto to buy, and it will certainly not cost money. It will probably be emotional, self-indulgent, feminist, personal, ridiculous, and hopefully amusing. Some things you may look forward to reading about in my newsletter include Elvis Costello, Mick Jagger, and the lie of the geek jock dichotomy, creativity, innovation, and archiving in online fan communities, Gordon Warnicke's goofy elegance in My Beautiful Laundrette. Everything I love about Jeff Buckley. Why Girls Invented Punk Rock, Not England. Astrid Kircher and Stuart Sutcliffe's Love Letters. James Joyce and Nora Barnacle's Love Letters. Why Women Are the Best Rock Photographers. Keanu Reeves. <laughs> how Chrissy Hind is Teaching Me How to Live. Thoughts About Identity, Growing Up art, food, travel, dreams, and more. As I attempt to justify inflicting my writing on myself and others, I promise that Passion Fruit and Holy Bread will launch in the coming weeks. Thank you for reading. So I thought that was a great just like roadmap of kind of vaguely what you're trying to do. It doesn't like bar you in, but it gives you a good idea of what to expect. Um and yeah, I just want to say again, it's beautiful. So I hope I'm not embarrassing you too much. <laughs> um, have you been enjoying it? Yeah, it's it's been fun. Um, I try to do like one thing a week um, or, or every two weeks. 
I was gonna actually write, you, you read the little thing about Chrissy Hind. I was gonna write uh, a thing about Chrissy Hind, but I'm not done reading her book yet. <laughs> but um, when I'm done with her book, there will be a, a piece about Chrissy Hind. Um, I was hoping to have it done by the time we, we, we recorded this, but um, well, you might have it done by the time I finish editing and posting. So I've got go. <laughs> Comic Comic Con next weekend, so it'll probably take me at least a week or two to edit. So um, if we get that one up, yeah, just everybody subscribe, and then you get the emails every week. But if you want to see the backlog post, you can go to the stubs like create account on Substack, and then you get access to all I think of the blog. Right. Yep. Awesome. Um, yeah. Well, there's like. We've got, I think, five entries so far. It's not probably till maybe blog three or four that we start talking about television. But television with Tom Verlaine's death this year, um, you talk about quite a bit about that in, I think, the third and fourth blog. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about how you found that band? And um, yeah, I'll probably just ask you some questions on top of that. Sure. Um, I... I was actually trying to think about this after I wrote that, like, when did I even really get into television? Because I remember specifically checking out the CD from the library at my school when I was like, uh, I was like 21. But then I, I had like this memory of listening to Marky Moon when I was like on my 20th birthday. So I was like, wait, did I mix, like, did I mix years up? Like, was that actually my 21st birthday? And so, but either way, um, it was a couple of years ago. I think I just had gotten really into that album because I was going through like a punk new wave, New York, CBGB, like rabbit hole phase. Um, and so... I just got super into it then. And then I remembered that I first heard about it like 10 years ago or so when I was reading about the um, Strokes album, Come Down Machine. And I had finally been really listening to it just a couple years ago. And I just fell in love with it pretty much. <laughs> Not to immediately jump back into reading long excerpts, um, but there's in the fourth blog post, Pull Down the Future, you starting out because you mentioned that... Um, Tom Verlaine died last Friday. And so, yeah, you go into this, how you, you're sort of like remembering how you came to this album. Um, and yeah, you talked about reading that Strokes article. Do you, do you mind if I read another excerpt and just, cause I think it's also like a nice little stylistic look at your writing and yeah, it's a beautiful way that you talk about Marquee Moon. Sure. Go for it. Um, yeah. Okay. I'll start here. For a few years after 2013, early spring was a tough time of year to associate with. On this particular early April night, I was reading an article about Come Down Machine at the dining room table in the corner of our postage stamp-sized kitchen. The article said something about the Strokes' most obvious influence being television, even though they denied it, claiming to be more influenced by the Velvet Underground than anyone else. That's how I found out about television and Marky Moon. I thought that Marky and Moon were words I thought sounded interesting together a pleasant alliteration, the mmm sound, the way the mouth wants to close on itself. And if the strokes sounded like them, of course they had to be important. So into the note it went. 
I looked them up the same night and I read that television were from the 70s, even though the people on the Crayola colored cover of Marky Moon didn't look like 70s people to me. The way Tom Verlaine's eyes looked in that photo, a Maplethorpe, freaked me out. I listened to the song, or maybe just part of the song after I heard it mentioned, but I was too young to really get it. I don't really remember what else I thought about it at that moment because it was 10 years ago. I was in the middle of breaking up with, or about to break up with my first boyfriend, five days after his birthday, and at that dining room table I was eating vanilla ice cream with M&Ms in it. He has a baby daughter now, but I don't know her name. So... It's a great, obviously, description of how you discover television, but it's also just a beautiful, I don't know, it has a real like, I don't know, I don't have the words for it. It's like a beautiful style and that like the way that you kind of end that paragraph with like kind of the timestamp that the music takes you back to and who that reminds you of and what you were doing. And obviously music does that for us as well, but yeah, it's just really uh, lovely. Um, are there any kind of like music writers or creative nonfiction writers that you feel like influence your style or does that come more from fiction or is that just like how it comes out? Yeah. Um, I was trying to think about this, about like the people that influence my writing. And I think my writing is influenced a lot by, um, poetry when I was younger, I loved reading just like free verse poetry. There was uh, there's a there's a kids book called Heartbeat by um, Sharon Creech, and it's like a children's book, not really YA, but it's like a children's chapter book, um, and it's written totally in verse, in just free verse. And I just remember my mind being blown by that book when I was little. So I, I think any type of um, of poetry uh, inspires me, particularly in writing about music. I, you know, look up to a lot of music critics, music journalists, but I don't know if I could ever see myself writing about music so seriously. Um, like I can't separate it from the sort of personal uh, aspects, but someone who um, really influences my writing is a writer named Liz Barker. She's a music writer. Um, she's a professional writer, but she she writes um, these blogs. Um, she has like her own newsletter too. And just the way that she, I don't know how to explain it, the way that she illustrates and can just paint a picture, just paint a scene. Um, it's always romantic. It's always... Like you can taste it, you can see it, you can touch it. Mm. Um, and it's always soundtracked by music. And and she writes like these little vignettes uh, in, in her newsletter um, that are often centered around like a place or certain foods um, and certain songs, like soundtracking it. And so that sort of thing that she does really inspires me. Yeah. That makes sense. And I feel like especially music being so important to you, like it makes sense, like the sound, like the way that the sound and shape and placement of words is so important in poetry. And it's more important in poetry than it is in like writing a novel most of the time. It's like the same as like song lyrics, like the number of syllables is important. How you say the syllables is important in the same way that like words have to be musical in a song. They have to be musical in poetry. So 
I think that comes through really well in your writing too. So like that makes total sense. Thanks. Yeah. I was looking up, I'll have to look up Liz Barker. I was kind of just, I don't know, looking up like music and writing essays and I came across, um, I don't know if it's, he actually said it or if he got it somewhere, but Elvis Costello has like, I think kind of an infamous quote that he says, writing about music is like dancing about architecture. So he's implying that it's kind of a fruitless thing to do because it doesn't, they don't really make sense together to him. And I don't know as much about Elvis Costello. It seems to me like he's always kind of telling weird sort of stories in his music. So, and I'm just a, a writing lover like you are. So I was like, oh, like, what are you like? It is in a sense like, I don't know, writing, you're always trying to make sense of something that's not quite, it's never going to quite come across the same maybe in your head as in your words, but you try anyway. So maybe that's the same as music, but I don't know. Do you find it difficult to sort of do what you want to do with these subjects and then like put them into words? That's maybe a stupid question, but like put them into words and is music especially difficult? Yeah, that's not a stupid question. Um, That's that's interesting that he said that. I like that. Um, yeah, I I do have a hard time trying to write these sometimes, um, mostly because I just feel like, you know, trying to write words about sounds can, like, you just think it sounds stupid sometimes because, you know, it's hard to translate. But, you know, I think writing about music, I, I think it's pretty intuitive. I mean, it's the same as writing about anything else. And I think ultimately, you know, like Banfic, it's just a way to let love, just total love of the artist show through. Um, You know, you wouldn't be doing it if you didn't love that artist like crazy. And, you know, I, I also think that music in particular and, you know, writing lyrics and sort of reading and analyzing lyrics fits so well with story um, and yeah. telling stories. When I sort of get really obsessed with like a movie or a show or something as sort of like a creative exercise, and because I don't really, <laughs> I don't really write fan fiction, maybe a little, but not really. Um, something I do is like, I, I'll make like a fan mix yeah. I don't know if people still do this, but like I know people used to. Um, but I'll make like a themed playlist of songs that relate to a certain character, a certain you know pairing, or things like that. Um, so to me, it's just it, it's a language in itself. Yeah, uh, yeah, music is crazy. <laughs> it's like such like a, a high thing to say, but I was trying to think of this too and. And yeah, all we're doing with like stories and maybe writing about music is trying to make sense of like, why does it make us feel things? I don't know. Why does it evoke certain feelings? And then why it seems to sort of stick. Like people are always talking about how music takes you back to certain memories. Like it takes you back to that kitchen table and you're like eating ice cream. Like why, why does it do that? I don't think anyone's answered that question. And I was reading this book in the library like I went there to just read your blogs and I like passed by a little shelf um, and they had this, oh, what is it? I didn't write it down. Oh, that's terrible. Um, I'll find out and put it in the notes. But it was just basically a book about like what is music kind of to, as it relates to like the 
human condition or why we love music or what it does to your brains. I think it kind of went into some brain chemistry stuff and it was just like, it kind of pointed out that's like music is strangely universal because it is sort of mathematical, like sound waves have certain frequencies and certain frequencies seem to sound better together, but yet is uniquely, as far as we know, human, like other animals have language maybe, but they don't have music. And so like, and why do we, yeah, I don't know. I'm just rambling now, but it's like, it's like order. It's like making order out of chaos, but it's like art and it's math. It's like, I remember I was like, kind of went on a couple of days with this, this cute drummer guy. He was adorable. And it was like too young to really handle it very well. Um, but anyway, about one thing about good about that I remember was that he was like a big Stones fan. And he was just like, we would like sit there, listen to the Stones and he was like, music just makes everything better. Um, and I know that's not really a question, but um, uh, yeah, I need to actually come up with a question about that. But yeah, I, I don't know. Music just seems to, um, like we need it the way that we need to tell stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's, um, you know, it's like you can't not make art, you know, like humans can't not do it. Like y- you just you have to, like, it doesn't matter when, you know, where or when, um, you, you know, it it just happens. You can't help it. You kind of go into this maybe in that, was it number four? Yeah. I think it's the one where you're talking about how Tom Verland, you just found out Tom Verland died and you're like at work and you have to do this stupid job that you don't care about. And like, I feel like this all the time. You just get into this, like, like, what is the point of, doing these things that we sort of have to do in order to make money in order to do the things we really want to do, which is listen to music and go out to shows and yeah, just the malaise of kind of modern life and it's tedious. And I suppose a lot of that probably got worse because of the pandemic. Um, I don't know. Did your like writing your music or anything kind of change for you when you were kind of like we all were sort of isolated during the pandemic? Yeah. I mean, I, I do feel that, like, I, I feel like the way that I listen to music now feels different. I I want to try to be more intentional about the way I listen to music, um, not just, you know, having it as, like, background noise, but really sitting down and focusing on it. But, yeah, I mean, music, like probably everybody else, there was, you know, certain albums that just you know, got everyone through that time when there was nothing much else to even do. But yeah, I think it helps you get through whatever situation that you're in. And especially now, you know, I, I work from home sometimes and I just listen to music throughout the whole day. Um, and it's great in some ways because I can just like totally binge like someone's, you know, total like whole discography, um, or I can listen to like the same album over and over again, but then in other ways I can be listening to something for like a couple hours and not really even be paying attention to it. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it, it almost feels cheapened or something, but yeah, I, I don't know where I was going with that, but <laughs> yeah, no, I was thinking about that too, actually. Cause you, there's a line in here, um, I'm probably not going to be able to find it in time, but it's something like sort of a a fear that I think a lot of us have of this generation, whether that's Gen Z or millennial or, or Gen X, it's like, 
you kind of either you remember or you know that people kind of of your dad's generation, like 60s, 70s, like they used to buy an album and it was most people didn't have grew up, you know, not being able to afford like a ton of music. So maybe they bought one album or one single and they had to take it home and then you had to put it on something so that you could listen to it in one specific place. There wasn't streaming and you you pretty much listened to that album maybe for the next couple of months and you internalized it. And that's the way that you hear bands like Oasis talk about how they experienced the Beatles and the Stone Roses. And then I feel like a lot of us feel like you just grew up, especially like you're less less than or about maybe 10 years younger than me, like CDs were still being listened to, but streaming was already like becoming the thing. And when you have streaming, it's just everything. Like you have everything. It's like that movie, everything, everywhere, all at once. And like when you do that, you almost like dilute the experience and you, and it's like all of this stuff seems to be related where, and it might not be true. It's just less clear. Like it seems like the music industry is also in a bit of a crisis. It doesn't know what it is or what it wants and what, I don't know. What are the next bands? Like, are they listening to everything? Do they, and what do, yeah, I don't, I'm also getting a little lost in the thoughts here, but like, like you, the <laughs> okay. line that you said was something like, will I ever love anything as much as when I loved the Beach Boys when I was 15 or something? Mm-hmm. And like, I think about that. And like, when you're sitting listening to streaming music and it didn't cost you anything really except a monthly subscription and you're not really listening to it maybe, or it's just playing in the background, it feels like, I don't know what, like, you feel almost guilty about it, or <laughs> it feels the same as like everything, like everything is the internet, social media is doing this to us too, it's stealing our attention, and it almost feels like it's stealing our passion for things, like, and you think like, when was the last time I read a book that I was lost in, and and listened to an album that I was lost in, and so anyway, I think we all have those fears, yeah. but it's like, yeah, do, do you, let me pull a question out of that, do you find that there's a that there's a better time or way like getting ready for this interview this morning. I, I put Marky moon on the track and I put it on my stereo and turned it up really loud. And I was like, fuck yeah. Like I could feel the music. It was amazing. Like that was a moment where I connected with that song. That's awesome. You did more than I did to prepare. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. Like, do you, do you feel like, um, I don't know, like driving your car or being on like a train or being in your apartment? Like, is there a way that you, you go back to finding that music again in this crazy, crazy world where everything's available all the time? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, it's definitely in the morning Mm. and particularly, uh, going for walks that's always kind of been a ritual for me going for a walk, putting my headphones in and just really being present and listening. I don't do it as often now I was, as I would like, but that's definitely a moment where I can just focus and take it all in. And I think, you know, specifically moving while doing it, like it, mm. it puts you into like a rhythm. It sort of puts everything, like everything just aligns and it's like a, it's like a meditation almost. So that's, that's what I've done for, for years. But I, I totally agree with you. Like I like going to, you know, the mall or wherever and like getting a CD 
And like, you know, that would be the, you know, that would be your CD for like the next couple months. That was so hugely um, important for me Um, when I was getting into music, especially like really getting into bands when I was like, you know, 13, you know, like I went to the mall and I got Nirvana and TV unplugged. And that was just like, you know, I never heard anything like that before, you know, and then I got the Velvet Underground and Nico, you know, the b- banana. Yeah. <laughs> um, that album was like crazy, crazy influential on me. So that I, I totally get that. Did you have like a Walkman that you had like a portable CD player that you'd use with headphones or how did you listen to it back then? Um, at that point, I would specifically listen to my CDs uh, in my room. I had my CD player in my room. Um, I would sit like on the far edge of my bed or on like a chair there and just listen, um, usually like in the evenings before I went to bed. And then I, I kind of started the walks like maybe a year or two after that, just using like my iPod um, and headphones. Um, and I, I always had my iPod with me. Like that was another thing. Um, I had an iPod shuffle that you couldn't, yeah. there was no screen on it. Like you couldn't, you could fit like 200 songs on there maybe. And I sort of just memorized the order of the songs on there. <laughs> so that was, that was, um, that was another thing that was big for me. But yeah, I think you don't have to ditch your streaming services or anything, but I think when you make a point to try and be more intentional about when and how you listen to music, I think it does make a difference. But um, yeah, I totally, I totally agree with all that stuff. I think some things are pulling it in the wrong direction. And, you know, like GB said in a post um, not that long ago, like leave your house and pay for music. <laughs> like those are the two things you can do to support the local music scene. Like actually go outside of your house and go see bands, um, buy music from them, buy a CD, buy a record from them. Yes. Um, and yeah, I think that's still the most important thing. Yeah, that's that's great. I didn't see that post. I, it sounds like GV though. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, uh, most of us are not happy with our economic status and it's hard, but I feel like there's also choices you can make. Like I don't, and this sounds snobby because it's so, for some people they have to and it's the only choice they have, but I try not to buy off Amazon at all because I just hate everything about it. Um, but I, so yeah, I try and go when I can and I don't get down to the record store often enough. And actually Kansas City where I'm at now, there's there's a couple good record stores, but um, I went to college uh, in Lawrence, Kansas. And if you ever make it to Lawrence, Kansas, I don't know why you would, but if you do, there's a record store there called Love Garden Sounds. And it's, it's like a dream record. Like it's small, it's independent, but it has a great selection and they have... CDs, like my Kansas City record store doesn't do CDs really. And I'm like, I fucking love CDs. You know, everyone's into this vinyl revival, but it's like, CDs are great. The audio quality is amazing. The, I remember flipping through the little liner notes with the lyrics. Um, sometimes they it unfolded into a poster. It was amazing. Um, I miss CDs. Yeah. I, I love, I'm right with you. I love CDs. <laughs> Yeah. Do you have a pretty good collection right now? Do you also do vinyl? What's your kind of collection look like? 
You know, I, I used to, I used to have a pretty good amount of CDs. I had this really nice, like little cabinet with all of them in. And then about two years ago, I got into this idea that I was going to be a minimalist and I was going to get rid of all my stuff. And I was like, I don't need these CDs anymore. I can put them all on my computer and I can still, you know, listen to them and, you know, I'm going to keep some from my car, but I'm going to get rid of the cases because I have one of those books that you just yep. slide them in. And of course, now I regret getting rid of <laughs> so many of them because I'm like, I want to listen to the pretenders in my car. But, you know, now I can't because my car, you know, is old and it can only play CDs. But um, yeah, so I, I did. Um, I still actually have a, a really good amount in my car. Um, but I did get rid of a lot of my CDs. I'm buying more to <laughs> sort of supplement it and get it back. Um, but I, I do, I, I don't have a ton of vinyl. Um, I have some. Yeah. It's the price these days is kind of getting insane. Like for a new pressing for like a new album, it's like 40, 50 bucks. So it's like, Oh, it is yeah. cool. I'd, I'd never, I, I don't buy new on vinyl. I only buy used. It's just, it just makes sense to me. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I feel like a lot of us did the exact same thing that you did where we got rid of our CD collections. And now like since streaming has now become the thing, everything kind of pendulum swings back. It seems like at some mm-hmm. point. And I think a lot of, hopefully a lot of record stores are you know, buying, trying to get CDs again. Cause I feel like I've had this conversation with several other people. They're like, yeah, CDs, CDs were great. Why did we think CDs weren't going to be great? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I also had like the album and that I kept in my, like, I think everybody had that in like the two thousands where you have like, I remember my friend had a Metallica one with like blue flames and uh, yeah, you just little, your little CD album, but then you're like, ah, oh, you really want it in the case. So you can mm-hmm. just see how it's supposed to, be presented and do you find this is just a random question do you find that you like to listen to albums in album order or you like does your ipod shuffle make it so that now you just like to listen to like shuffled up mixes or is the album order important to you definitely in album order yeah um my ipod shuffle was only a shuffle in name Uh, i never (laughs) i never used the shuffle function really um yeah, I think album order is important because to me, like, you know, that's the order that the artist intended for it to be heard, I guess. So, yep. Yeah. Uh, I had a friend say that to me once and I was like, I just also wanted to be cool like him. So I like absorbed it. And then I told that to my boyfriend. He's like, you're being a snob. And I was like, no, but it's important. But there's there's a time and a place for both. But I think, mm-hmm. yeah, to absorb the album as the artist intended, I do enjoy the album order for sure. Going back to television and that band and Tom Verlaine, I was listening to that single track, Marquee Moon. I don't know. Do you want to like talk through that track a little bit? Like I was just kind of blown away by that a little bit. And I feel like it's a great example of like how music can kind of surprise you. And you mentioned that in one of those blogs that that song in particular you would listen to in times of like maybe high anxiety. Can you kind of explain a little bit about what that song kind of does 
for you and how how you think that why you think it does that um that's a very vague question but yeah um that's a great question yeah i mean it's if you're not familiar with the song it's a 10 minute long song um it's kind of like a guitar odyssey thing uh it's i don't know it's it's hard to explain because there's not really much else like it um the the style of of guitar playing that kind of distinguishes television it's very angular it's a lot of like intertwining guitar lines um so there's two guitar players in television richard lloyd and tom berlane It's not really what you think of when you think of the traditional rock sort of blues based, you know, one person's playing rhythm chords and the other person is, you know, playing a, a pentatonic solo on top of it. Yeah. Um, it. It's sort of abstract and it's sort of like, a, it's sort of psychedelic in a way. I mean, the, yeah. I, I think, I mean, the lyrics are kind of surreal. Um, it's sort of like, is he talking about this wild night that he had and they're like, you know, or is he hallucinating that? Or it's like, you know, it really paints a, a surreal sort of picture, but yeah, it's all, it's all based around, um, the guitar. Yeah. Yeah. And I just felt like I, I'm really glad I didn't actually look at the timestamp before I started listening to it because I just, the first time I put it on, I was just, um. I think I had sat down and just just to listen to it. I don't think I was doing other things, but it yeah, it kind of starts out where you get those cool like guitars and you can hear that like you mentioned the blog, it's kind of like it sounds a bit infinity like where the two of them are kind of going round and round in a riff and we'll put some like clips in here so people can hear. And he's got this kind of like unique voice. I don't know if I would like it's something sort of like a R- Ramonzi or a Mick Jaggery kind of but he's kind of shouting, but he's, yeah, I don't know how to describe his voice. And then, but anyway, you get kind of a verse and there's kind of, kind of a chorus maybe, but it's definitely different. And I remember thinking like, oh, I don't like, I know this was like kind of classed as punk a little bit, but it's not punk. Um, And then there is a guitar solo. Hesitating. And then you kind of think he's like ending the song at maybe like three and a half, four and a half minutes. I can't remember what he, he shouts something like, and he goes like, ah, and then the, it's like, it goes into this like jam and then they're just like jamming. And it's like, yeah, like a psychedelic thing for like a couple of minutes.
like ghosts. It's just like you don't expect it, and it sort of takes you somewhere really. I don't know. Kind of throws you out in the wind, and like you don't know what he, where he's doing it. And like you mentioned, he's a jazz guy. That kind of makes sense. And then when you think, I, I was thinking, okay, maybe with like a couple minutes to go, it kind of sounds like it's going to fade out and end. And then he brings you back to the main melody again. So like the end is the beginning. So it's like this becomes the circular thing. And I was like, I wonder if that is something to do with that meditative thing for you listening to that song. Like it starts in a familiar way and then it kind of helps you escape maybe and like go somewhere and then you kind of get lost and then he brings you right back to where you started and like I don't know I was trying to like put that into words but I was like fuck yeah I under I know what you're talking about when you're talking about this song what it does for you I don't know how to say it but I think I understand yeah yeah that's that's like exactly right um you explained it way better than I did I don't know I don't know I I, I have trouble talking about music sometimes um you know, once you know the song, the guitar riff is so instantly recognizable. Um, and yeah, it, it's like a heartbeat, like the, yeah. the bit. Um, da, da. And it, da, da. yeah, it really, da, da. I hadn't thought of that. I love that. Yeah. It, it takes you on a journey, <laughs> not to sound like, you know, I don't know, but it, it does. Yeah. And it, and it brings you back and it's, it's, it's so interesting because the other songs on the album, they're more of a standard song structure. Um, they're not all 10 minutes long. They're like regular, you know, four minute songs or whatever. But um, yeah, that one in particular is, is pretty special. Yeah. I, yeah. And I was thinking like, wow, this is amazing what this song is doing. And I was thinking, you know, it, it probably couldn't work if like all songs were like that. Like you all, like you can't kind of listen to an album of 10 minute songs, but like one thrown in there or like, I think there's a song at the end of the laws album where it's like 15 minutes. What is that one called? It's like, it ends with like the changes cast. I can't remember. Anyway, that reminds me of that where it's like, it goes on this epic thing. I don't think he frames it as well as like Tom Verlaine does in this one where he starts, it starts the same way it ends in like a really elegant way. I thought that was the coolest part about that song, but yeah, you can't do them all 10 minutes, but sometimes having the one, it like makes it really special somehow. Yeah. And I'm not really like big into the sort of like prog rock thing where, you know, songs are like 15 minutes long like that um but I just think it's so interesting that that sort of ethos of like getting rid of all the elitist self-indulgent jamming was like such a big part of (laughs) of the early punk scene and you have this you know it's just like smack dab in the middle of this album coming out in 1977 in that New York scene and it's like 10 minutes of, you know, noodling. And it, you know, I, I just find that so, um, so funny and interesting. And I don't know. It's, I love it. It's, it's kind of perfect. Yeah. That was just such a cool surprise. Hi, thank you for introducing me to that. Cause I kind of, th- I feel like I maybe listened to the, the first song on the album. Um, was it si- something about a sin or Singer evil? See No Evil. Yes, that was great. But that was like more of what I was expecting. And then Marky Moon starts and yeah, four and a half minutes in, it's like, whoa, what's going on? 
And even like towards the end, there's like these, I hadn't figured out what it, what sound it was, but it almost sounds a little bit like bird song or like these, it's a really beautiful. Yeah, I know exactly the sound you mean. I know exactly like the point in the song. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what that is, but I was like, it's it's kind of like um, <sighs> like almost like Coldplay or like Radiohead is that song in Rainbows where in the middle there's like this lush, beautiful string thing, and it's like just purely aesthetically beautiful in the in the middle of that last part of Marquee Moon, and I was like, oh, like I don't know if you ever got to play this live or if you could, and it's not, you're right, like it's not like Prague, there's not a whole bunch of crap in there it's just him the couple guitars and the bass yeah but he's still punk like would you call television punk still um i don't know i i mean i i think a lot of people would might consider them like art punk or like proto punk i don't really think uh the label is all that important yeah um because they were kind of around in the early part of that scene and I'm not sure, you know, some people kind of tried to like distance themselves from being labeled that way or they didn't agree with it. I don't know. For for simplicity's sake, I guess I would kind of lump lump them in with that whole kind of um, scene at that time. Um, but to me, they're kind of just their own thing. Yeah. Like, you know, n- nobody else really sounds like them. Yeah. And they were only around for a couple of years is that right yeah they um they put out marquee moon and then they put out adventure the year after that um in 1978 and then they went away for a long time and then they put out another album um i think in the early 90s i'm not sure how much of the original lineup was there for that album um but i know they released that and then they toured in the early 90s with that yeah um cuz yeah t- yeah and then tom verlaine did some solo albums uh, in the eighties, I think. Was um, was Richard Hell on that first album, or was he already gone by then? Yeah, he was gone by then. Um, he had put out his his first album, I, I think, in the same year, um, in seventy seven. Maybe it was seventy six. I don't know. I'd have to double check. Um, but I think he he was either kicked out or left in uh, either seventy five or seventy six. I think. Yeah, you you paint a great picture of him in um it's either I think it's number blog number 3, it's either 2 or 3. I think it's 3. On Ice Cream and Richard Hell is a great just read them all, but that one was was awesome. Um Oh, I just wanted to ask, yeah, on the television thing, I know it's not open, I don't think, but did you ever get to go to CBGB's or is there like a museum? Um there there's not. Uh, I don't believe there is. I was way too young to go before it closed down. Um, that might've been like 2006 or so, maybe something around there. It's like a store now. Like, I mean, like you can go in it, but it's, 
to, you know, unrecognizable aside from uh, the sort of like, I don't know what you'd call that, like the awning or whatever, like the little thing at the top. Um, there's like a plaque there, I think, that just sort of says, you know, hey, this was here, but that's pretty much it. I'm actually going to be up there uh, in New York um, next month. So I'm going to try and visit some sort of like punk landmarks up there. But um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I could, I could go walk past it, but it, there, I don't think there's much to see. Um, but if anyone knows of any like good places up there to visit related to that, let us know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Throw us a comment in the Tumblr. Um, yeah, it was kind of sad hearing how they tried to save that because like it sounds like the rent, basically the landlord was just like, how about three times the rent, you know, because it's New York rent and they made some attempts. I think even, um, oh gosh, who's Bruce Springsteen's guitarist, Steve? Stevie Van Zandt. Steve Van Zandt, yeah. I think he tried to help out with that and um, I just think, yeah, nobody could really either justify the cost or come up with the kind of money that they were asking for to, and it's like, it just seems like venues nowadays, especially since the pandemic, but it's just really hard to keep doors open kind of anywhere, not much less in like New York and Manhattan. Yeah, that it was really sad. I mean, it just it, it just makes me sad thinking about it because it I feel like it could have been avoided and it was just stupid. Yeah. I mean, you think about the people because CBGB's was you could probably talk about just like what that venue is, but it, it was it was like the Ramones played there, Patty Smith played there, like a bunch of those. It was like the place where kind of punk was born, I suppose. Well, I, I just read the Wikipedia page. So I was going to ask you if you knew of any like good documentaries or books that you would recommend, or yeah, if you wanted to talk a little bit about CBGBs or yeah, I mean, I don't want to sound like you know stupid like talking about this because obviously like there's people that you can listen to talk about it that like were actually there um i was never there <laughs> but there there actually is a movie they made a movie uh about it um alan rickman is in it oh wonderful it's kind of like cheesy and silly but it's a you know a dramatization of hilly crystal you know the the owner of and founder of the club and how it came about and how the scene sort of blossomed there. I mean, I, th I think it's like on Hulu or something. Um, yeah. You can watch that. Um, I watched it a couple years ago, like around the time when I was like getting really heavy into, into the, the punk thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure there's other documentaries. Um, there's one coming out, uh, but I think it's like later Toward maybe because it was like talking about the yeah 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 um uh, meet me in the bathroom yes that's it uh, so the book is out I think the documentary is also out now I haven't seen it yet though or read the book but I'm very interested in that um about sort of like the scene like the rock scene in in New York in like the early two thousands yeah but I mean it it was it was an interesting place because um it started off as like I mean it stands for country bluegrass and blues. And, you know, it was like a really rough sort of area in New York. People that lived around that area lived there because it was cheap. You know, Richard Hell still lives in the apartment no that way. he, you know, lived in in the late 70s. He still lives there. And, you know, the only requirement was that if you wanted to play there, you just had to play original music. You couldn't play covers. Oh. You had to play your own music. So that's why it was such a, you know, it just blossomed 
um, because there was so much creativity going on there. And, you know, that was the deal. You had to be original. Yeah. Did they ever play country, bluegrass, or blues music there? Uh, maybe maybe in the early days when it first opened up. But uh, uh, I, I, can't, I can't remember what year it opened. Early 70s. Um, yeah. But yeah, television was one of the first bands that, that started and got their start there that was kind of like more of a rock, artsy thing. Yeah. I, when I found out that name, I was like, what? Because I'd heard of CPGBs, but obviously just in the same sentence as punk music. And so that is funny that it started out that way. Um, one thing I meant to ask you, do you, you mentioned uh, the music, what was the music journalist's name or the writer, Liz with the. Her name is Liz Barker. Liz Barker. Did she write for music publications or are there, it seems like, I don't know. There was a time where like music magazines were important and it seems like that time is probably over. Um, but I know like I saw like cream magazine is kind of coming back, which yes. I was like thinking about getting a subscription. Um, are there any mu- music magazines that you think are good or were good or that are, you know, that you read? Yeah, I, I think my, my dad used to get Rolling Stone at some point when I was younger. I get Rolling Stone now. Um, it's weird because I'm not, I never, I never subscribed to it. They just started sending it to me for free. I don't know if you've ever like gotten magazines in the mail for free. It's like some sort of weird like advertising thing, but by some, you know, <laughs> weird growth of luck, I get it every month in my mailbox for free for like the last two years or so. Um, so I do, you know, I read Rolling Stone. I, yeah, I, I actually just saw that the other day that, they revived cream magazine. Um, and that, that was kind of more like a Midwest sort of thing, but, um, I guess when it was, when it was out, but, um, yeah, definitely super influential. I am really a fan of like sort of smaller zine type things. Um, like trouser press is kind of like a cool late seventies little music magazine. You know, I just love coming across those types of things like online. Like I'm big into like looking at stuff on eBay and like antiquing and stuff like that. Um, So I love finding like those little smaller publications. And of course, like NME when it was in print, I don't think it's in print anymore. Um, It's just online. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. I I just kind of read whatever I see shared online NPR music can be good. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not a huge reader of reviews all the time because uh, right. like, re- reviews particularly, but I do really like sort of investigative pieces um, on bands, um, things like that. Yeah. Music criticism seems to be like, I don't know, for a while it was kind of or maybe it's always been like this, like when writers are sort of cleverly take apart a band, maybe they get more attention or that was like a thing for a while where it was really cynical. Um, And that's kind of fun. If you're, if you already come in, not liking the band, you're like, yeah, fuck you blur. Like, but that gets pretty old pretty quick. So I like the idea of, yeah, smaller presses or like music blogs, like something more, thoughtful and exploratory. Um, I read 
David Brooks is a writer I like. He's mm-hmm. a columnist for the New York Times and he's interested in all kinds of things, but he did a piece on Bono. Um, that was great because I think Bono's got his new book out. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I don't know. I love those like kind of profile pieces. And um, yeah, actually just speaking of you two, you mentioned that you got into them. Did that come along with getting into Oasis or like the, and, and the Stone Roses as well, where the blog title comes from, did that all that kind of that British, because to be honest with you, I stumbled into Oasis RPF and my lens of getting into things similar to yours is like, but maybe more intensely, it's like I get into fan fiction and then my whole year has been listening to like British music from 1980s to now. Like it's because of fan fiction, which seems kind of fucked up. But um, yeah, did you two kind of come along with Oasis and Stone Roses? And like, how did you get into those bands? Yeah, um, it's it's funny because I, U2 was one of the first bands that I remember ever really loving. I was probably 10 when I started getting into like their early albums. So I had boy I had October I had war and I had the Joshua tree and mm. those were like the four albums that like that was really all I knew of them um, when I was you know getting into them at that age and I will continue to say that those specifically their first three albums have like shaped my my music taste more than anything else mm. um, for better or for worse Um yeah, so that was like that was then and then fast forward to now I'm getting into all of the rest of their stuff. I considered myself like a massive U2 fan, but I wasn't really fully aware of, you know, the latter half of their of their work. Um and so now I'm getting into all that and actually through all of the Oasis writers on Tumblr I found um, U2 writers, and so that's kind of what prompted it. Um, so, and, and I and I found I found Oasis writers through someone who was writing Coldplay RPF. No way! So that, I, I mean, like this all happened like within the past like year or two. But um, yeah, so I, I felt silly because I I was like, yeah, I love U2. I'm a massive U2 fan, but. I was, I had this, you know, huge chunk missing. So that's, you know, I'm kind of making up for all that now and discovering, you know, speaking of people who write about music, you know, and, and critics and things like that. I think that it's, I don't want to say more valuable, but I much rather enjoy reading someone writing about a band that they love versus like, you know, someone who's just getting paid to you know, listen to an album and then write about what they think about it. So that's why I so intensely love the blog Octoon Baby um, that Kelly uh, and PJ write. They're amazing. Um, it's sort of like a, a fanzine. Um, Kelly Eddington is this amazing watercolor artist and her and this other woman, PJ, they write this amazing blog and it's it's so good. <laughs> Is that Substack or Tumblr? Uh, it's it's its own. I think they're on Tumblr, but it's it's its own website, octunebaby.com. Oh, sweet. Okay, we'll definitely put that in the notes. They do some just they they do some incredible like just fan writing. Um, and PJ writes poetry, and it's so good. 
Um, they do like sort of essay style stuff, um, just about like the nature of fandom and yeah, it's, it's great. That's like probably one of the main things that inspired me to start my blog. Cause I was like, Hey, I, I don't need permission to do this. I can just do this. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's the same way with fan fiction. It's like, you're just an amateur. And that sounds, some people would call it a derisive term, but it's like, it just means that you love something so much. And yeah, with the internet, the way it is now, you get a free blog site or you can get an AO3 account and you can just post your stuff and find other fans. And it's an amazing gift economy where people just put it out there because they love it. And mm -hmm. it's the coolest thing. Um, yeah. I've been meaning to get into, since I've talked to GB, I've been meaning to get into like just dive into YouTube music. And of course, I would be diving into the fan fiction as well, because that's how I do things. And actually, I probably first saw YouTube writing from GB. That's probably where I first saw it. No, I, that's awesome. GB wrote, wrote a couple YouTube things that are really, they're really, really good. So yeah, her just in, in my interview with her, like her love of that band comes through. And I just wonder, I was like, wow, what is it like to be a fan of a band that like each other and are still making music like being an oasis fan is so hard <laughs> you're right it's it's such a and i had never actually thought of that before being a fan of of both bands it's there could not be a starker contrast and that's that's cool <laughs> yeah yeah it's different because I, I feel like in some it like it hurts me to see liam and all you know, in the situation that they're in, although we don't, that may have changed lately, but you know, whatever the case is now, it's like 13 years of not talking and the way that they talked about each other was like hard to listen to. It was amazing to see, although I was only getting it after it had happened, but it was amazing to see how Liam came back to where he was in 2014 after the breakup of BDI and of course Oasis before that and then where he is now. But like a lot of the the feels that I feel like motivate me motivated me to write Oasis fan fiction. It's like angst and it's like a fix it mentality. Like I need to fix them. And so that's the place where it comes from. But like with you two, it's like, Oh, I was just listening to Bono on the, the smartless podcast where he was interviewed by like Jason Bateman and those guys. And like, he's like, Oh yeah, I have a house. Um, I can't remember where. He's like, I have a house. Edge lives right next door. Or maybe it's the same house that they own. I don't know. They're like besties forever. They own a house together. They own a house together. <laughs> Bedge, uh, is it Bedge is the ship with Bono and Edge? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those shippers must just, I was like, what is it like to be that? <laughs> like your boys own a house <laughs> together. They're happy. They're sweet. They're articulate. They love each other still. Like that is fucking amazing. And here we are, like just clinging on to like some off the cuff thing Noel might have said about he talked to Liam and well, I don't remember how he put it, but there was like everyone was like frothing because there was an interview where he was promoting the new album. And he was like, Oh yeah, um, Liam's trying to find himself. Or he said something kind of shitty, but it's like so it gives us so much hope because we have nothing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And they've been like back and forth about it since. So it's like any little crumbs you get, you just like, is this it? Is it happening? 
are they reconciling? Oh, Jean and Aeneas are now following each other mm-hmm. on Instagram. That must mean something. So it like makes you feel a little crazy and insane, like being an Oasis fan, because you're just all you want is for them to talk to each other. They make it very difficult, unfortunately. Yeah, it's yeah, you're so right. It's it's so aspirational. Um, but yeah, just we're we're just clinging to the crumbs of <laughs> of gossip and and hearsay and all of that. But yeah, I think I think it's good because it gives, you know, people who write for for the fandom, it, it gives them a lot of conflict, a lot of material, um, a lot of room to grow, I think. Um I, I was gonna bring up passing of Peggy, of Peggy Gallagher, um, because I think that's a great example of it's not a fix it, but it's just like, it's the embodiment of that sort of love. Um, and the ending in particular, it's just so like heartwarming, (laughs) but, um, yeah, (laughs) it's, it's a great dichotomy there, which I, yeah, that's funny. I never thought about that before. Yeah. She, I think even in that last scene in the passing of Peggy, um, yeah, the spoiler alert, well, anyone listening to this is probably where the passing of Peggy Gallagher. But basically, yes, Peggy dies and it kind of brings Lehman all together. And at the end of the fic, oh, it's like so, it's just like making me emotional thinking about it. Uh, Noel has a key to a house that he's bought and it's going to be his house with a place that they can like be together and be themselves. And they they mentioned in passing that like, oh yeah, Bono and Edge have a have a house. Yeah. Like and I was like, is that true? And then, of course, you look it up and you're like, oh, my God, it's true. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, that fic, that fic really inspired me to like that. Because when I came into the fandom a year ago, there weren't really any long fics. I think Savage was working on um, Stop the Clocks. So that was kind of a long form reconciliation. So it's like over 30,000 words and passing of Peggy Gallagher. I don't know what it is, like 40, 50,000 words maybe. So, and I like big long fics and I was like, I want to write a long fic. But yeah, those those two in particular, because they were present day and they were reconciliation and Savage's was like really cool and dreamy and Jeeves was more like a kind of straightforward narrative about Peggy dying and them coming back together. And um, yeah, anyway, I just was like, I want to write a fix a fic and it's going to be a long fic. And um, so those were the two that definitely inspired me the most. And it's a small community, but there's some great, great writers. And I hope we will get more, maybe as the real life drama unfolds, we'll get more writers. Yeah. That's, that's really the main thing that I was, I, I was so struck by. It was just like the quality of the writing in this fandom. It's just, I mean, it's some of the best, like some of the best fic writing I've ever read. I think yeah, no, totally. Um, well, yeah, I think we've covered a good amount. I always have kind of this like, I might have 11 questions instead of 10, but I call it rapid fire, but you can answer long answers or short answers. So yeah, if, if you're ready, here are your 10, 11-ish questions. Um, Beatles or Stones? Beatles. Yep. Did you ever get into the Stones at all? Uh, not nearly as in depth. Uh, I just wasn't exposed to their music as much. Um, I do like it. I mean, it, it, it's 
it's different because the I mean the first couple albums of theirs are just all covers. Yeah. So it's like it's not you know it's not until you know like '66 where they even started writing their own original stuff. Yeah. Um, so the you know they were kind of they kind of came later on. Um, I just actually watched a documentary that I don't know what year it came out, but um, it's uh, they did a live show. Um, I think it's called Gimme Shelter. They did a live show. Um, it was totally free. They were like free concert. Anyone can come. Like over a hundred thousand people showed up, um, and it was just chaos. <laughs> um, and this is like back in the early seventies when they had, um, or late sixties, early seventies when basically the Hell's Angels would be security at shows. So um, there were all these people. You know, people were climbing on the stage. Oh my um, god! It shows like the setup of the day. People are freaking out. You know, tripping and. People are like, you know, it's just absolute chaos. <laughs> um, so then they try and put the show on and, you know, they have to s- keep stopping the show because like just it, it's just, you know, audience is going crazy, you know, and like the people in the Hells Angels are like trying to push people back and yeah. it, it's just, it's it was like horrible. Um, and then one of the Hells Angels actually ended up stabbing somebody Oh my god! And killing them, and it was like it—it's it, just—I don't know how I didn't know about this before, but like, <laughs> I just—I just found out about it when I was watching the documentary. But um, yeah, it's crazy, and it's just—it's like the members of the band like watching the tapes back and trying to figure out like what happened. Like it, yeah. it was—it was crazy. So um, yeah, I don't know. I—I I just. I'm more into the Beatles. <laughs> yeah. No, totally. That's the same for me. I've just kind of recently, more recently been starting to go back and like listen to those other invasion bands. Like I had listened to the Who, I kind of had a Who phase, um, but I was trying to go back and educate myself more there and then the Stones as well. And yeah, it's just funny with the Glimmer Twins. M- Mick and Keith are just hilarious and um, yeah, admirable how long they've still been touring and going. It's so crazy. Um, all right. Question two, which of these best describes your inner rock star? And I picked ladies because ladies don't get talked about enough, but if there's another rock star that you feel better describes, you can name them. But I have Chrissy Hind, I have Joan Jett, and I have Stevie Nicks. Um, <laughs> I mean, all heroes. Um, I'm going to say Chrissy. I've seen Joan in concert. Oh, cool. Um, actually, one of my first concerts um, that I ever saw, and it was it remains one of the best I've ever seen. Um, I love Joan so so deeply, um, but yeah, I'll go with I'll go with Chrissy. I mentioned this I'm reading her book right now, and um, it's good. So, yeah. Do you think I'll do a kind of a blog post and talk about that a little bit? Yes, for sure. Sweet. I'll look forward to that because I don't really know anything about Chrissy Hind. I remember I, for some reason, saw her, I think, on a talk show when she was putting out, um, oh, what's the, it's a newer album. It has dark sunglasses on it is like the big single on it. Um, Crap, I'll find the album. But anyway, it was at one of her newer albums she was putting out. And I remember seeing her do an interview and I was like, oh, she looks cool. And I kind of bought the album. But I don't really know much about her, and I didn't listen to Pretenders growing up, so 
I will look forward to that blog post. Um, you kind of answered this, but what's the best way to experience music? You think live show, putting your headphones on, listening to your stereo in your room? Um, I think whatever way you can get it really. Um, I'm, I'm always an advocate for, you know, going to shows. Um, I think that's the most direct way that you can really experience an artist is, you know, obviously they're right there in front of you. You know, sometimes you can't, and sometimes it's more of a, an art that's meant to just be listened to alone in your room. You know, obviously the Beatles never performed a lot of their work live. That's just an example I thought of. And it's really meant for you to just listen to um, and absorb. But yeah, however you can get it, I say. <laughs> yeah. No, I love that thing you said about just like going on a walk and putting your headphones in. I thought that is a great way. Okay. Here's a dilemma. You have a free Wednesday afternoon and you happen to be in, I don't know, probably Manchester. Uh, are you going to the Man City match with Noel Gallagher? You just have to bump into him. He has an extra ticket. He's going. Or are you spending the day down at the pub with Liam? <laughs> oh, that's a great question. Um, I would pick pub with Liam, only because I'm not a I'm not a big uh, sports fan. Yeah. Um, although that would be fun. Um, I would feel more. I would feel more comfortable. Oh, yeah. I think I would do that, too. I was thinking about it. I think the problem with Noel is like you either have to be in the box with him, which is like separates you from the experience, or people are just going to be coming up to him asking for selfies all day, and then you just don't get to talk to him. And then, you know, you get your picture taken with him, and you end up in the sun the next day, you know. You're the newest (laughs) girlfriend of Noel's post-divorce tabloid show <laughs> yeah as soon as like i can just the next year is just going to be like whenever Noel goes on a date we're just gonna be talking about it for the next week which is a little sad but it is kind of fun but <laughs> all right here's your next question the doctor of doctor who suddenly appears at the tardis and offers to take you to one of the following four shows choice number one january 1969 the beatles on the rooftop of apple core in london so you get to stand on the roof and watch that. Choice number two, it's 1974. Uh, no specific date, but you get to uh, sneak into one of television's regular sets at CBGB's. Choice number three, November 1995, Oasis at Earl's Court in London. I, as an Oasis fan, I was like, it was hard picking like which one, like maybe Nebworth or maybe Main Road. But a lot of fans say that Earl's Court show is pretty incredible. So that's choice three. And the choice four is September 2001, U2 at Slane Castle in Ireland, supposedly one of the greatest U2 sets shows of all time. So I'm sorry, but you have to pick one of those four to go to. What do you think? Oh, my God. This is <laughs> this is the hardest question. Um, oh, man. I mean, come on. You got the Beatles in there. Like, I, I don't know. Um, I know. <laughs> right now, right now, my answer would be – you two at Slane Castle. Um, but that's that may be in just indicative of where I'm at right now. Um, yeah. but yeah, that's funny that you would ask that because there's a there's a U2 interview that I love um where someone asked, like, if you could go back and see any concert, what would it be? 
And the Edge's answer was television at CBGB's. No way. <laughs> and I was like, this is why I love you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so th- yeah, those are in a way I, I, those are all my answer, but um, yeah, let's go with right now today. Let's go with you too. It's Lane Castle. Yeah. And I haven't gotten into YouTube enough, but their career is so vast. I was kind of surprised that like, cause I just Googled best YouTube show ever or whatever of all time. And that seemed to be like a pretty definitive, like most of the fandom was saying that one. And it was a little later than I would have thought. I was like, oh, YouTube, you kind of think about huge late 80s, all of the 90s, still successful in the 2000s and even into now. But um, yeah, was there something, what was special about that gig? Was it just cause it's in Ireland or... Do you, I guess there's a documentary on it. Have you seen that? Uh, I haven't. Um, I haven't seen that. Um, I've only seen clips like on YouTube of different songs from that, that show, but they did film that. I haven't seen most of like YouTube has so many like concert films. I, I just, I need to <laughs> immerse myself in all of these things. Yeah. So Slain in 2001 was so, I think, emotional because um, Bono's father had just passed away. Oh. Um, like, I think of actually like a few days before um, this show. So it was just like, you could just feel yeah. the emotion um, coming through. And um, yeah, it, it's just, it's just so emotional and special. And being in Ireland for that too. Yeah. And it, during that tour, um, the way that their stage was set up, I don't know if you've seen any clips Mm -mm. from this, um, or if anyone who's listening doesn't know the way their stage was set up was that there was this sort of, um, runway coming into the audience. Um, but it's not just a straight runway. It's actually shaped like a heart. Oh, so, um, some people like, you know, like this massive field, some people are in the middle of the heart. Oh, crazy. And so, you know, they, they come out and, you know, Bono runs in a whole circle around the entire heart. And it's just incredible. Um, and for some songs, they come out, you know, like to the edge of it and play. And it's great. He just seems like the coolest. He does. I don't Yeah. I don't even know how to describe Bono. It's like, <laughs> he's Bono. He's amazing. Ah. All right. Question six. What is your desert island record? Maybe you're going to be stranded for three months on a desert island. You get one album to bring with you to listen to. Okay. This is hard. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. Um, My real answer is probably Viva La Vida or Death and All His Friends by Coldplay. Mm, Yeah. Um, But I'm on a sabbatical from Coldplay right now. Uh, so um uh i'm gonna pick um octoon baby by you too awesome that's my that's my desert island album right now i love that um name a recent album you've been enjoying or maybe a new band or yeah or new album or something that you've just kind of found more recently um so obviously a lot of the music i listen to is you know 50 odd years old but um a band that I love so much right now um, is a band called Spoon. Um, oh, yeah, Spoon. So um, they just put out an album at the beginning of last year. Um, I think just this 
last February. Um, it's called Lucifer on the Sofa. So that is like one of my favorite recent albums. It's so incredible. Um, got nominated for a Grammy, I think. No way. Um, That's awesome. Uh, another band um, is a band called Wet Leg. Um, oh, yeah. I have to say, like, I had heard about them and I just listened to Chez Lounge. And I was like, I don't know about this, but I haven't listened to the whole album. I was just like, oh, this sounds weird, which is like, I do that a lot of times. And then I go back and then it grows on me and I'm like, okay, this is great. Mm-hmm. So would you recommend the whole album? What do you think? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I would highly recommend the whole album. Um, and I also, I also saw them a couple months ago and they were amazing live. So Spoon, Wet Leg. Yeah. Those two I would recommend. Awesome. Um, this is a, yeah, I don't know. This is an odd question. Do you have any recommended ways to kind of discover new music, like music discovery, like local radio station, or actually I've been listening to, um, Paul Gallagher's, uh, obviously Lamadol's older brother. He has like a mixed cloud show where he just like spins a random playlist every week or, um, Justin Hawkins of the darkness has a YouTube channel where he like breaks down songs, which is fun. Um, which has gotten me onto some new stuff. So yeah, how do you get into new stuff maybe? Yeah, I've seen um I've seen Justin Hawkins' YouTube channel. I haven't seen Paul's um radio show thing, but that's cool. I'll, I'll have to yeah. check it out. Um mainly uh, I hear new stuff from um the radio. There's um this good, you know, independent station um that that I get. So I would definitely recommend just trying to find like your local sort of like college radio station. Yeah. Um, they're probably playing local people. They're probably playing good stuff that you don't hear on top 40 or, or anything like that. Um, and I also just, when I hear, you know, bands and interviews that mention um, other artists, um, that's, you know, another way. Yeah, totally. I remember just hearing Liam talk about the Stone Roses and stuff. That's when I went back and listened to that album and I was like, oh yeah, this is amazing. Okay, question nine, getting towards the end here. Speaking of fan fiction, uh, can you give me a couple of RPF band fics? You actually mentioned Peggy already, but um, give me a couple of RPF band fics from your bookmarks list or that you would recommend. Yeah, um, I think I actually have it pulled up because I was going to talk about or list these to you anyway. Yay. Um, I'll, um, I'll omit any Oasis uh, things just for, you know, just for some variety. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so one that I have right here, and I'm, I have to reread this because I haven't, I haven't read it since I bookmarked it, but um, I just thought it was awesome. It's called Cheaper Than a Dime by harmonizing on AO3. Um, and it's, uh, it's a Beatles fic, which is weird for me because I don't read Beatles fic. I just, for whatever reason, just can't get into it. Uh, can't get into pairings or anything like that. Sure. Um, but it's sort of like a very angsty thing about, um, George and Paul and how they met first and how just like their their relationship and how it went on throughout the years from when they were so so young, and I don't know it's it's good, very angsty and sad. <laughs> I love it already. Um, 
and I'll send you all these, I'll send you all these links so you can list them and everything. Perfect. Um, so you mentioned Steve Van Zant. There's this writer who wrote these couple really awesome little uh, Bruce Springsteen, the E Street Band fix. They're short and kind of cute. And um, so they're by Trapolo underscore road four seven five. Um, so the one the one I'm thinking of is called Dare Disturb the Universe. They're um, they're really good. Um, all the all the Bruce fix that, that this author has are good. Nice. Are they gen fix or are they a pairing fic? Uh, uh, these couple are um, Bruce Springsteen, Steve Van Zandt pairing cool. um, fix. And then the other one I will wreck right now is it's two. It's technically two. One is in progress right now. Um, so it's fictitious characters and you wanted me alone by like a Madonna on AO3. Oh, okay. I know the author. So these are um, U2 slash fix. So You Wanted Me Alone is the one that's in progress right now. I just started reading these fix a couple months ago, maybe like six months ago. Um, But the quality of the writing is just astounding. It's just like some of the best fic writing I've ever read. It's emotional. It's just, it's everything. (laughs) I'm obsessed. So I would highly recommend those. Yeah, those are my couple of recs. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I remember GB said the same thing um, before and heard great things. So I might be trying to hit you up like a Madonna. I need to, that's like my next thing. I was like, as soon as I get through this Oasis series I'm writing, I want to like dive in and read some stuff. So hopefully I can do some of that. Um, well, the last question is always uh, my big overarching question that um is it's usually like what does fan fiction sort of mean to you or do for you and you can answer that if you want the the way i have it written now is what does music mean to you which is like a ridiculous question but um any little part of that or any i don't know feeling you have about what music does for you in your life or or yeah, you can dovetail that into writing or reading as as well. But like, um, it seems really important to you, and I think it's important to a lot of us. So, um, yeah, what does what does music mean to you? Well, um, I could fill another three hours <laughs> with <Yep>. that, <laughs> um, but um, you know, I'll try and keep it concise here. Um, I'll just you know try and like connect it to writing and you know the the things that I write. Um, and the things that I read that other people write about music and bands and everything. And to me, like I said before, um, I would love to write about music in the sort of serious way, um, like a historical, uh, journalistic, uh, important way. Um, and I love people who do that. That's what I do. I read things that people write about music that I, you know, know more than me and, you know, I can learn from, but I, I can't separate the personal aspect of it. I fall in love with the people because of their music. Um, you know, I just, I like, it's so, uh, it's such a holistic sort of thing, the way that I feel the music and, and connect it to things in my life 
and I'm inspired by the people who are making it. And, you know, I use them to sort of think about my life in a relational way to the music and, and to the people and the way they live their lives and they, you know, did their work. And, you know, it, it all just inspires me all together. And I think, you know, writing about music might seem silly or nonsensical at some times, but like I said before, it's just a total, um, it's just out of a total love for, you know, what they're, what it is that they're doing. It's just, you know, what else can you do? (laughs) Yeah. Um, When you're a fan, especially, and, you know, fan works and fan communities tend to, you know, get shit on for, you know, whatever it is, um, being, you know, frivolous or ridiculous or whatever. But I, I don't think that's the case. I mean, it's just, it's just a total adoration and love and, you know, critique sometimes. And, you know, sometimes you're, you know, a fan of people that you don't necessarily love everything about them. Um, sometimes you might not even like the person, but you, you know, you still love their work. And, you know, all those, all those complexities um, are reflected in your own life too. So you just, you can't help but sort of attach on to, you know, whatever it feels like they might be going through and they're putting into their art. And then, you know, you kind of take it in and churn it and then put something back out. It's transformative. It's, um, it's, you know, evolving and it, it just, it means whatever it means to you. And for me, I just feel like I have to do something with it. Um, so that's, that's why I'm doing this. I mean, it's, it's essentially, you know, what the stuff I write is essentially just, you know, things that I would already be writing in my head. Yeah. Um, you know, like as I'm, you know, walking down the street or whatever, listening to music or I, that I would be just putting in a journal somewhere or something like that. But, um, for whatever reason, I'm just kind of putting it out there. And yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't really take it seriously um, by any means. It's really just me trying to practice and get back into writing again slowly and just see what happens. So this is what, this is what I care about. This is what I think about all the time. So this is what I write about. Yeah. Paul, you're doing an amazing job. And um, yeah, I think, yeah, not to extend it out too much, but I did, you wrote a recent Tumblr post that I think a lot of, especially in fandom feel, which is that like, yeah, what are we, what are we doing with our lives right now? It's like, we go to work, do this work you don't care about. You come home, you make dinner. And it's like, I think what you said about like, even if you're, I don't know that, that musical artist, even if they're like problematic or whatever, like remind us of the complexity of like our lives. And I think like what you're saying is basically like music is like humanizing. Like it reminds us that like we're flawed and we're people and like we have probably, especially like people like the Gallagher's like, like, can you think of more flawed people to admire? (laughs) But their, their problems are like remind us of our, especially familial problems. But yeah, I think that's especially important in like, we're like, we're all online on the social media, which is the opposite of humanizing. It's like, and maybe that's why I don't, we're addicted to it, but we like hate it. But like music is like, I don't, like you said, we've done it. Humans have always done music. Everybody, like whether you're playing it or whether you're listening to it or just like making sounds on 
everything. We just, yeah, we can't not do it is what you said, which is, strikes me as very true. So I appreciate you putting your love of that into words because you're doing a great job of it. So I look forward to your future blog posts and your Chrissy Hind and anything else. And um, yeah, thank you for sharing all of that with us. Thank you so much for having me on.